And welcome to Reim Ahuvim. This is Rabbi Yitz Greenfield, MS, Marriage and Family Therapy. I'm so happy you're joining me on jrootradio.com. For those of you who are new listeners, here's what we do. We try to learn and develop brand new skills and tools to renew and strengthen the connection you have with your spouse. We do this not only from a social science perspective, but we use the Torah as our main guide and source of of navigation. I like starting this show by saying this is going to be a very exciting show. And this show is going to be an exciting show. But I'll be honest with you. This particular show that we're going to be doing today, by the way, this is a live show um, today, which is June 25th. And anybody who has questions or comments or feedback, I'm going to say right now, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get to it, but our text number is 347-927-8398. That's 347 Nine two seven eight three nine eight. But in any case, today's show is pivotal. It's important. It's critical. However, I will tell you that for some of you, it's going to be one of the most important shows. For some of you, it's going to be an important show, but not not so practical because you already know all these things, you might say. But you're going to see, you're still going to learn a lot from this show. So again, many shows I say, okay, you got this is a show. Oh boy, everything I'm going to say today applies to your marriage. But what I'm going to say today for anybody is going to be important. For some of you, some of you are married, you're going to be able to relate to this and you're going to, you're going to say to yourself, wow, this is, okay, he, he, and I get this a lot. He hit, the, he hit the nail on its head. Why? Because this, this happens to me like every day. So I don't know which category you're going to be in, but as it's a Yisbarach, we'll have Siyat of the Shmaya. And we are going to succeed, Rez Hashem. Today, here's what I'm about to do. I am going to be talking about an area which is possibly, possibly the most, I should say the most, one of the most complicated areas in certain relationships, certain relationships, what I'm talking about is trust. Now, I know some of you are listening to this, oh, I don't have an... Baruch Hashem, my husband, I trust my husband, my husband trusts my wife. That might be true, but there might be nuances of trust that you're going to see in a couple of seconds. You are challenged within your own marriage. Nuances of trust and white lying, bending the truth. When am I allowed to do that? When can I not do that? It could get very complicated and very sticky. Hopefully this class will be comprehensive enough that you'll be able to walk away and again, that's the purpose of this, these shows, be able to walk away with the skills and tools needed to be able to tackle the issue of trust in your marriage. Even if it's, a, even if it's like a low-level trust issue, it's still very, very important. Okay, let me stop like this. Let's just understand one thing, ladies and gentlemen. I, I can't, you know, this is like so pivotal here. There is, I would say, probably nothing as important in the Torah for HaKadosh Baruch Hu, for Hashem, for God, than emet, MS. What do you say? MS, emet, truth. Truth is like the most important that there is for us in the Torah. How do I know this? You might be asking. How, how do I know this? How do I know that MS is so powerful, so important, and we could say it's one of the foundations, literally the foundations of Yiddishkeit, of Judaism, is MS is truth. How do we know that? We'll take a look at the first pasuk in the Torah. The first. They start off, you know, Bereshit bara Elohim et ha-shomayim ve-et haaretz. Bereshit in the beginning, right? Bara Elohim, God created et ha-shomayim, the heavens, ve-et haaretz, and the earth. Okay, great. Where do you see truthfulness over there? What's the deal with that? Well, look at the words. Bereshit bara Elohim. Bereshit. Bereshis, right? What's the last letter of Bereshis? It's the letter Taf. What's the last letter of the next word? Bara. What's the last letter of Bara? It's Aleph. What's the last letter of Elohim? It's the Mem. It's screaming at us, practically screaming at us. Emet, emet, be truthful. The Torah is truthful. Everything we're we're about to say in the Torah is only emet, is only truthful. The foundation of of our lives is based on the truth, not lies, but absolute truths. Emet, Aleph, Mem, Taf. We see this in what we call Torah Shebichtav, which is the written Torah and Torah Shebalpeh, which is the oral Torah. Well, the oral, oral, we don't have two different Torahs. It's the same Torah, but the oral 
Torah basically is explaining what the written Torah means. So we have, but, but it's still split up in Torah Shabbat and Torah Shabbat Peh. And we know that when it comes to Torah Shabbat Peh, we see it also. What do we see? Look at this. I think it's also an amazing, amazing drush like this. Take a look. The Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments. Well, Ten Commandments, right? The most important, right? Not the Ten Suggestions, but the Ten Commandments. Commandments. What's the first command? Hanochi Hashem. I am, right? I am, I am God. God is basically saying to us that we have to understand, we're not just understand, understand the Kaddish Baruch Hu's ways, but also dwell into it, analyze, and know that there's an Kaddish Baruch Hu. And Muna, it's like nothing, nothing goes on in Judaism until we have the most basic ingredient, and that is Emuna in Hashem Yisbarach, which means we believe and we know, not just believe, but we know unquestionably, unquestionably that there's a God. We know that, right? Anochi, that's Anochi Hashem Okecha. I am Hashem, your God. That's number one, the, the most important thing, which is belief in Hashem. Know there's a God in this world. Okay, again, Anochi, the first letter is Aleph, Anochi. Now let's move on to the basic oral Torah. Most basic, basic is what? Mishnayot. What's the first Mishnah? The first Mishnah, for those of us who, who learn Mishnayot or Gemara, we know is what? The first Mishnah is none other than Mishnah Brachot. Brachot is the first Mishnah. Me'ematai korin et From when do we read the Kriya Shema? What time do we start reading the Kriya Shema, right? When can we start reading it? Well, take a look at that first word, me'ematai. Again, you have the mem. So, so far we have the alpha anochi, the mem of me'ematai. And now let's shift over to Gemara, okay? We shift over to Gemara. What's the first word in Gemara, brachot? Tana mehechakai. The Tana, where does he get this from? Tana, where do we have, what's the first letter of Tana. It's the taf. So again, we go back to the Ten Commandments, which is the pillar in the Torah, right? The pillar. And why is that so important? Because we know that all the oral law was transmitted when to Moshe Rabbeinu through Har Sinai, that time of the Ten Commandments. So we know the oral law is connected to the Ten Commandments. So what's the first First, first, first word, Anochi Hashem, you have the Aleph. Then you look at the Mishnah, what's the first word? Me'ematai, you have the Mem. And then you look at the first word of the Gemara, and what do you have? You have the Taf, Tana Mehechako. We see Emet. It, ladies and gentlemen, this is not a mistake. It's not a coincidence. It not just happened to be. Emet truth is like the pillar of our existence, is to be truthful. And everything is based on truth. If the world would be a bunch of lies, it would be chaos. It would be hefker. We have to be based on truth. Take a look at the letter emet. The letter emet itself. I, excuse me. The word emet, the letters of emet is aleph, mem, taf, right? So you got the aleph, and it's it, the aleph, if you take a look at the shape of the aleph, it's got two legs. The mem has two legs. The taf has two legs, because we know that truth can only stand on two legs. If you take a look at the word emet, it's the aleph, the mem, and the taf, right? Now, those of you who are possibly lawyers and have gone to court, or those of you who are not have not gone to who have not lawyers, but have gone to court for whatever reason it is, whether it was a speeding ticket or a stop sign or whatever it is, a law or something else, we know one thing. If you start with the truth, you end up with the truth. If you start with lies, you end up with lies. One of the biggest, most powerful tactics that lawyers use in court is they, they keep on questioning the plane. Keep on questioning, where were you there? And you told me you were there, so how come you be there? And how come you told me this and that? You try to find the person in a lie. But if you're saying something that's truthful, as bizarre and crazy as it is, you don't have to worry about it because the truth will always come back to itself, right? From the beginning to the end. If you say something truthful, you're going to find yourself truthful from the beginning till the end. From the Aleph till the Taf. Look at the word itself. Emet. Aleph, Mem, Taf. The word is truthful, and it's truthful from the beginning of the Aleph through the middle to the M, to the Mem, to the end, to the Taf. Because if you start with the truth, you're going to end up with the truth. It's always truthful. Now listen to this, because I think this is so amazing. How we see in our own Torah, we see how important truth is. And we're going to discuss in a second how it relates to your marriage. And when, and, and what do you mean? I, I'm also, so I have to be truthful all the time in marriage, right? We'll talk about it in a second. 
take a look at this. This is, this is like, I think, so fascinating. I actually got this brought from Rabbi Ephraim Goldman in Eretz Yisrael. It's so beautiful, but if you take a look in Parshat Shemot, okay? What happens, for those of you who are not familiar with what I'm talking about, what happens basically is that the Jewish people are in Egypt. Okay, Our grandparents, those of you who are not Jewish are listening to this, you know the story as well, that there's a fan story, is that the Jewish people were enslaved in Egypt, in Mitzrayim. And then what happens? And then you have this individual by the name of Moshe, and he's walking in, in, in the field, and there's a burning bush, and Hashem communicates to him, God communicates to him, and Hashem says to him, gives him a set of instructions to go to Paro and to do whatever it is, and to go to the Jewish people, tell them it's time to be redeemed, why not? And Moshe Rabbeinu asks Hashem as follows, and I'm going to read you the Pasuk, this is in Shemot, Paragimel, Pasuk Yud Gimel, says, Vayomer Moshe Elohim, and Moshe said to, the, to, to Hashem, Hinei, behold, Anochi ba el b'nei Yisrael, I am coming to the Jewish people, Vamarti lahem, and I will say, Elokei avoteichem, the God of your forefathers, Shelachani sent me aleichem to you. Ve'amruli, you know, you know what they're going to say to me? Mashemo, what's the name of this God? Ma omar aleichem, what should I say to the Jewish people when they ask me, who's this God you're talking about? What's his name? They're going to test me to see who am I talking about. Vayomer Elokei el Moshe. And Hashem said to Moshe, Ekye asher ekye. And if you translate that literally, you could maybe translate it to that, I am who I am. Vayomer ko tomar Israel. This is what you should say to the Jewish people. Ekye shalachani aleichem. Ekye sent me to you. In other words, when the Jewish people ask you, what, who is this God? What's his name? Hashem says, Hashem says to Moshe, tell them, that my name is Ekya. Now I'm, I'm using a kuf instead of an hey, which it really is, because according to some, you're not even supposed to say that. It's one of Hashem's name, one of God's names you're not supposed to say. So Ekya Asher Ekya. Ekya Asher Ekya. That's what you tell them. You tell them Ekya Asher Ekya. Say Ekya. He's the one. Now, why does Hashem choose that name? Where does that come from, that name? Ekya, which is Aleph, Hey, Yud, Hey. What is the deal with that? What's, what's the significance of that name? Why is that name so powerful? How come when the Jewish people are going to hear Ekiah, they'll go, oh, now, now we understand who you're from. Why is that so powerful? Because what is Ekiah? Ekiah, if you take a look at Ekiah, the gematria, which for those of you who don't understand what that means, the numerical equation of the word Ekiah, which is Aleph, Hey, then Yud, and then Hey. If Aleph is one, Hey is five, Yud is then... 10, and then hey is 5. So the numerical equation, by the way, for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, numerical equations, when it comes to the Hebrew language, are so powerful, so important, they can tell you the whole story. It's the whole, everything is in the is in what we call Lashon HaKodesh, which is the Holy Tongue, and it's all embedded in there. Lashon HaKodesh, it's all embedded in Lashon HaKodesh. And if you take a look, we, the way we, we see that, we infer that as something called gematria, which is the numerical equation. If you take a look at the numerical equation of ekya, it's 21. But Hashem doesn't say ekya, it says ekya asher ekya. So what's, what's ekya asher ekya? Ekya means two times, ekya, and then ekya again, but not just two times. The Chachamim tell us it's not two times, it's ekya times ekya. What, what do you mean? Ekiah, which is 21, times Ekiah, which is 21. If you multiply 21 by 21, what do you get? Anybody out there? 21 times 21. 21 times, right? 21 times 21 is 441. So again, what's the significance of 441? Rabbi Greenfield, great. Why, is this, why does Hashem tell Moshe to say Ekiah, Sheh Ekiah, to say Ekiah, why is, why, why is that Hashem's name? So important. Like This is like the mo one of the most important names of Hashem that the Jewish people will hear it and they'll know this is the truth. You know why? Because 441 is the gematria of the word MS. Yes, the numerical equation of the word MS, which is Aleph Mem Tuf, which means truth. By the way, I'm, I don't know if I mentioned this before. Some of you might not know this. MS, Aleph Mem Tuf. Aleph is one. Mem is 40, and Taf is 400. 
So the reason Hashem chose this, coming to tell the Jewish people, this is the truth. This is the truth. This is really Hashem. This is God who's going to come and take you out of Egypt. This is it. This is Hashem. 441. MS. So, 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 so important. MS. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to take this one step further with you. I hope you're like, we say holding cup. If you're not, don't worry. We're going to jump into marriage in a second. Listen to this amazing, amazing piece. As as follows. 441, that's the number that signifies truth, right? Because MS, MS is 441. So that's like the number, the truthful number, 441. What is so special about the number 441? Why is that such a special number? Why is it so important? Why is that considered the the epitome of truth? Because if you take a look at 441, let's take that number, let's condense that number. We're going to take 441 and we're going to condense it. What's 441? It's 4 plus 4 plus 1, right? So you take 4 plus 4 plus 1 equals what? Equals 9, exactly. 441, really, its essence is number 9, because 4 plus 4 plus 1 is equal 9. So now we're, we just transition into the number 9, and what we're saying is that the number 9, that represents truth. The number 9, like that's the truthful number. I mean, first of all, let's understand, by the way, this is an important piece. You know, I say the number nine is the truthful number. The, tru- the truth of the matter is, the absolute truth of the matter is, is that most of what we see is really not truthful. Take a look. I mean, wherever you are right now, some of you are preparing for Shabbat, some of you are in your cars, some of you are maybe in the office and you're listening to this. I want to tell you, everything you're looking at right now is really not truthful. What am I talking about? Everything you see is actually, it's a bunch of, basically it's a bunch of atoms, Right? If you know science, what is an atom? What is it basically? It's you have, an atom's like flying little pieces that are flying all over places, right? Neutrons, protons, and there's little pieces that, that are flying. When, when we talk about matter, when you look at matter, so let's say, for example, I'm looking right now at a microphone, right? Like, look at the microphone. I can say, wow, look at this microphone. It's how big it is, and it's a, it's a piece. It's like a, let's call it a chefza. It's a chefza of a microphone. But the truth is, it's really not a chefza. There's not much matter in, matter in it. If you take all the atoms and you break them up, what you have is a bunch of flying little things. That's really what you have. Everything you're looking at right now is a bunch of flying little things, like neutrons, protons, which are flying all over the place. And if you condense it, I heard once, and I, I'm not quoting you, something I quote you, empirical evidence, but I, I, am, I am sure enough that I can tell you this is true, but I can't quote you. You can look it up yourself. That if you take all the matter of the world, meaning, right, let's say planet Earth, and you condense the matter, all these little flying protons and neutrons and everything, and you put it into like one piece, what you would get maybe is the size of a basketball. That's the whole world. So when you're looking at something, you're really not seeing the truth. I'm looking at a room that's the color green right now, right? Now, I'll say, oh, it's the color green. But it's not really green. It's a reflection of the green light which is shining on it. I'm not trying to confuse you. What I'm trying to do is tell you that there really is no absolute truth, except for Hashem. There's no absolute truth. We don't really understand what we're seeing. And those of us who are Maminim of Neim Maminim, we know that everything that happens to us is, is really being programmed up there. We just have to do what we call our Hishtadlus, and Hashem pretty much runs the show for us. We don't really do anything, right? We don't do anything. This is like the most Basic principle in Judaism, we don't do anything. We do hishtadlis, we do try to do whatever we can, and Hashem pretty much is letting, letting the electricity flow and doing everything for us. So this really, everything is sort of a facade. But there's one thing that really is truthful, and that's numbers. Numbers, really, it's absolute truth. Numbers are true. But the number nine has real significance about it. And that's like the representation of the word emet, which is the word truth. Why? Take a look at this. I think this is beautiful. The number nine... If you start with the truth, you always end up with the truth, right? That's the rule. You start with the truth, you end up with the truth. So, right? The lawyer is going to cross-examine the, the witness. As crazy as it is, if he's saying the truth, he can always get back to the truth. But if he, if he hops him on a lie, gets him on a lie, that's it. Done. Take a look at the number nine. If you start with the number nine, you always end up with the number nine. That's truth, right? And I'm going to show you now. You start with the number nine, you're always going to end up with the number nine. Let's multiply nine by anything you'd like. And you can do this at home later on with yourself, with your, your kids or with your husbands or with your wives. You can have fun with this little thing. But I'm, I'm going to show you the point in a second. Remember, you start with the number nine. You start with the truth. You always have the truth. Take nine and multiply it by any number. 
any number. I don't care. Take nine, the number nine. Multiply it by any number. Nine times three, for argument's sake, okay? Nine times three is what? Is 27. Now, remember we said you start with the truth, you end up with the truth. You start with the number nine, you always end up with the number nine. Well, what is 27? 27 is really the number nine. Yes, 27, two plus seven is the number nine. Oh, come on, Red Greenfield, you, 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 you fixed that. No, I didn't. Let's, let's pick something else here. Nine times five. Nine times five, okay? What's nine times five? Nine times five is 45, right? Remember, you start with the number nine, you come back with the number nine. You start with the truth, you end up with the truth. What's 45? 45 is four plus five. Four plus five equals nine. Remember, it always comes back to the nine. You think I'm playing with you here? Let's go to another number here. Nine times seven. Nine times seven, right? That's nine times seven. Nine times seven, 63. Six plus three is the number nine. Do you see this? By the way, you could go on. I'm doing single digits. You could go on to like double digits, triple digits. Here, here's a double digit. Here's one for you. Nine times 11, right? Remember, you start with the number nine, you come back to the nine. Because nine is a symbol of truth. We see, this in the, we see this hinted to us through the Torah that it always comes back to the number nine because the number nine, really 441, 441 is a met. So what do we see? Here's another, yeah, nine times 11. Nine times 11 is what? 99, right? 99. Well, Rabbi Grief, you said you start with 9, you come back to number 9, right? Yeah. What is 9 plus 9? 9 plus 9 is 18. What is 1 plus 8? What's 18? 1 plus 8? 1 plus 8 is 9. Do you see this? This is not a mistake, ladies and gentlemen. Do you see how emet is embedded in the number 9? And the number 9 is embedded in the word emet, which is 441, because 4 plus 4 plus 1 is equals 9. Do you see the pattern over here? You know, people who listen to this, people who maybe are not religious listening to this, like, aren't you blown away by this? How we see, like, the truth embedded in the Torah? Now, I'm going to give you one more about this. One more, which I think, when I heard this, it completely blew me away, and I hopefully it's, hopefully it's going to do the same to you. Listen to this. If nine is like the number, the number nine is like the number of truth, right? Because nine signifies a truth, which is, signifies 441, which signifies emet. So the number nine, right, if that's a true, and every number, right, the numbers are, are true. So in a certain way, after you get on top of multiples of nine, every number should have the number nine embedded in it because numbers are true. And you're telling me the number nine is true. So is there the, is the, does the number nine exist in every number? Well, guess what? The number nine does exist in all numbers after the, after the multiples. What am I talking about? I'm going to pick a number out of a hat, and you can do this yourself at home later on and have fun with it. I'm picking the number 232, and I'm going to show you how the number 232 and every other number you're going to pick later on, 5,765, whatever it is, has the number nine embedded in it. Listen to this. 232 is actually 9. What do you mean? Because if you take the number 232, subtract it from itself, you're going to get the number 9. I'll say it again. You take any number, but I'm picking 232. You're subtracting, subtracting it from itself, you're going to get the number 9. What do you mean by itself? I don't mean 232 minus 232. That's obviously 0. I'm talking about itself. What is 232? 232 really is 2 plus 3 plus 2. That's If you take it the other way, it's 2 plus 3 plus 2. 2 plus 3 plus 2 is really the number 7, right? So if I tell you, take a number, subtract it from itself, 232 minus 7, right? Because that's the, the essence, it's 7 really. What is that equal to? 232 minus 7 equals 225. Okay, Rabbi Greenfield, where's that 9? Hello, it's screaming at you again. 2 plus 2 plus 5 equals 9. You could do this with any number. My point is numbers are real. Numbers are absolute truths. The way HaKadosh Baruch Hu created the world, the number is something that's real. Unlike everything you're looking at right now, which is not real, just flying atoms and protons and neutrons and stuff that you don't even know what it is. Colors, colors, what is a color? It's all a facade. It's all Hashem really, who's, who's just telling us, Delve a little deeper. God's telling us, delve a little deeper. But it's all the truth of Hashem. Hashem is the essence of truth. And we see that throughout the Torah. We see that in numbers, where the numbers are all really, if you take them and break them apart, you see it's all really the number nine of which we're talking about. So the number nine is the essence of truth. 
It's unbelievable, unbelievable. So the point of all of this for you is that what? Is that there's nothing more important than the truth in the Torah. It is so important to be truthful and to act truthful and to show yourself in a truthful way. Yet, guess what happens? What happens in, in Chumash Breshit? The, the strangest thing, the strangest things happens, right? Hashem, God, is talking to Avram Avinu. Listen to this. Hashem is talking to Avram Avinu, Abraham. And Hashem tells Avraham, what does he say to him? He's saying that, that, uh, that, that his wife, Sarah, is saying that she is too old to have children. When Hashem promised, Hashem promised uh, Avram Avinu, Abraham, and Sarah, Sarah, children, right? And they were very, very old. And they, naturally, they were not supposed to have children. But Hashem promised him children. And Sarah, right? Sarah said, Hashem tells Avram that his wife, Sarah, said... That, what, that she, not that he, that she is too old to have children. Now, the Gemara tells us that's not really what happened. What happened was that what? Was that Sarah said that her husband Avram is too old to have children. But Hashem actually bent the truth as if to say, now we have to be very careful with that, obviously. But Hashem bent the truth as if to say, in order not to create machlokas, think about it, because otherwise Avraham would feel he would, as if Avraham, Avraham, you know, we're talking about Avraham Avinu, we're talking about one of the most amazing men in history. But just, still, still, what do we see? Hashem, Rav Yama says, changed it around in order that maybe it shouldn't insult Avraham Avinu. Could you imagine? Hashem was the epitome of emet. There's nothing more truthful than Hashem. There's nothing more truthful than Hashem. Hashem is bending it a little bit. The Gemara says. We know that what the Gemara Yevamot and the Gemara Sanhedrin both it says Mipnei Darki Sholom. Sometimes for Darki Sholom we do bend the truth a little bit. And if you take a look at the Eitzah Hamidrashim, it also says that you may flatter your wife sometimes a little bit overly. Why? In order for Sholom bias. What? I thought truth is so important. What's going on here, Rabbi Gnifle? You just gave us a whole intro about truth, and now you're like, okay. Next. We know that there is a big machloket, it's a very interesting machloket, very interesting controversy between Shammai and Hillel, right? What's the machlokas? The machlokas is, if there's a bride, let's say you go, you go to a wedding, right? Or let's say, you know, you have your friend, just got married, a bride, he asks you, what do you think about my wife, my new wife, whatever. So it's a machloket. Shammai says that what you have to do is you have to be honest. You have to be honest, even if it's brutal, you have to be honest. If you don't think she's so pretty, is that you can be honest. You, ask, you say, I don't want to talk about it. You say, I don't want to talk about it. But if he forces you, so you have to be honest. Obviously, be careful about Lashon Hara or whatever, but to be honest. Even if it might not be so, whatever. That, Hillel, on the other hand, Hillel says, no. Hillel says, no. Kalinoe. 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 The what? You're Kala? Wow, of course. She's wonderful, beautiful, great, wonderful Kala. What? Hillel? Hillel. Hillel's okay. What do you mean? Hillel is going to lie? You lie about, 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 about someone's bride? Yes, yes. What do you mean? Bending the truth. We go according to Beis Hillel. We don't go according to Beis Shammai, right? So what? We see that sometimes bending the truth, if it's, if it's going to hurt someone or if it's for darke shalom, for ways of peace, for peaceful reasons, sometimes, not only only given leeway, we're told that it's important to bend the truth. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking to you about, okay? Your wife works really, really hard on preparing you dinner. And, and she prepares you this great meal. Now, you happen to ask her, you happen to ask her for chicken, and she makes you steak. She doesn't, in her life, imagine that you would not want steak. And she makes you steak, and she thought you said steak. She said meat. What you meant by meat was chicken. You weren't in the mood because you had steak already at the wedding last night. And then she prepares you, she prepares you, let's say, uh, she prepares you meat, and you meant chicken. Fine. So now what happens? You come home, and she, she worked really hard on this gourmet meal for you. You know, the kids are out. They're in camps. The first night, you're by yourself with your wife, and she's preparing you. Finally, you could get to She's not working anymore. She can finally prepare you this beautiful gourmet meal. Great. And you come home, and what does she prepare you? She prepares you steak, and you're really not in the mood for steak. You don't want to meat. It's too heavy on you for you. And you see, and she says to you, well, what do you think? Do you like it? Is it good? Is it tasty? Are you happy with it? 
Now, if you're going to be brutally honest, you're going to say to her, thank you very much for making it, but this is not what I wanted. I really wanted chicken. I did not want steak. It's too heavy. And you're going to majorly hurt her feelings. But what do you mean? You have to be truthful. We had a whole share for Rabbi Greenfield. You have to be truthful and met and how important it met. But we see when it comes to Darke Shalom, when it comes for peace, when it comes to Shalom Bayez, an area where Hashem is willing to erase His own name, Parashat Sota, His own name for Shalom Bayez, for peace in the house, what do we do? We sometimes, we bend the truth. We have to bend the truth in that case. Oh, this is delicious. What am I going to hurt my wife's feeling? No one's ever going to figure it out. She's not going to remember, but I'm going to tell her that. It's delicious. And it might be on a Shabbos table. It might be whatever it is. How was the food tonight? Moshe, Yaakov, how did you like the Sheva Brachot? How do you like it? You think I prepared nicely? You think everything was good? And you think, well, what do you mean? I told you specifically that we don't need an entree. Why did you waste my money on buying an entree? That cost me another $50. I didn't ask you for an entree for the Sheva Brachot. Why did you do that? You can say to your wife and hurt her feelings. But it's the truth. It's the truth. I have to be truthful. What do you mean? No, no. In that case, you better not be truthful. And you might, brutally truthful, what I mean is, brutally truthful, and it really is brutal, man, but brutally truthful is still brutal. I'll say it again. Brutally truthful is still brutal. And you better focus on the brutal part, not on the truthful part, because it's brutal. So you might better say to your wife, no, I'm sorry you say to her, oh, it was wonderful, Sheva Brachis. It was great. And you don't mention that piece of the entree which you told her not to prepare. We don't need it. Or if she made soup in the summer, which was not necessary, some of you, right? Soup in the summer. Other types of things where she did something where you didn't ask her, like, why are you? Or you those of you who, who are listening to I know a lot of Hasidish people listen to me as well. Don't do me any taivis. Why are you doing me taivis? If your wife does you a taiva and you didn't ask for it, thank you very much. If your husband does you a taiva, that's another one. Let's say, for example, let's say, for example, it's your birthday, right? It's your birthday. It's your birthday, either husband or wife, your birthday, right? So let's say women who are listening to this, and a lot of women are listening to this, right? Baruch Hashem, getting ready for Shabbat. Your husband buys you something, right? He buys you for your birthday something, and you really don't like it. It's not something you wanted. You're not crazy about it, right? What are you going to tell your husband? Obviously, you're not going to tell your husband, I, I hate it, bring it back. Okay, if, you, if he tells you you can bring it back, do you want to bring it back? Honestly, even then, I would, I would question whether you actually want to bring it to the store. I would question. I really would question because, it, like, how does he feel? He went out to the store, the jewelry store, to buy you something, or not the jewelry store, whatever he got you, a pocketbook or this, that, and your thing, and you're not crazy about it. You like it, but crazy about it. But for him, it's going to mean a lot every time, every time you, you, you wear it, every time that, you know, you, you, you open up your purse and he take out your, your money or your keys, he's going to see, he's going to feel good, you know? I would question whether to bring it back to the store, even if your husband offers you to bring it back to the store, seriously. If he doesn't care, I mean, he doesn't care. He just spend an hour. It depends. Did he actually spend an hour or he just saw it on 13th Avenue and picked it up for you for five bucks? Okay, I'm sorry. But the point of the matter is you got to be careful with each other's feelings because the truth of the matter is there's another big of around, not Varim. And people don't understand this. This piece is like so, it's an important piece. We're not allowed to hurt other people's feelings. It's as simple as that. We're not allowed to. Not people on the street, not our children, and most definitely not our spouses, we are, it's a sur to hurt your spouse's feelings. You're doing a verot. Some of us, we learning Torah, we go to Kolel, we go, we, we go to Shirim, we, we hear Moses, this and that, we come home and then we're like, oh, I'm just joking, I'm just joking. We're sarcastic, sarcastic with our wives, right? So our wife asks us, oh, do you like dinner? You say, oh, it's disgusting. Oh, I'm just joking, I'm just joking. You're joking? You're playing with fire over here. First of all, you're going to majorly hurt her feelings. And second of all, you're doing an averah, like, you know, like, you wouldn't eat a cheeseburger, right? You wouldn't go and you wouldn't eat a cheeseburger in McDonald's because it's meat and milk and oh my, I would never eat a cheeseburger, but you're going to hurt your wife's feelings. That you don't care about? Like, see, we have, again, I'm talking to myself also. We have to be careful about these things. This is not a vera like any other vera, right? Your wife asks you, do you love me? So you say to her, actually, no, I hate you. I'm just joking. Why are you doing that? Why are you doing that? It's not, you know, well, what if I don't really love her at that point of time? I don't really feel so connected to her. Who cares how you feel at that time? Like, hello, you don't feel at that time? That's, so you're going to insult your wife, hurt her feelings? Because you have to be honest, brutally honest, right? Do I look normal? Your wife asks you. Oh, yeah, you look weird. Like, I'm just joking. Let's stay away from that. 
let's let's seriously let's let's stay away from that. Let's stay away from brutally honest, especially with in-laws. This is a biggie, by the way, especially with in-laws, because you know. <laughs> I would say like marriages are split. I really would say marriage is split. It's either you love your in-laws or you hate your in-laws. I'm sorry. Those in-laws who are listening to this, I'm so sorry. You know, I don't, I don't mean this in a bad way. I don't mean this in a bad way. I'm sure the ones who are listening to this are the ones that they love their in-laws. But I'm telling you, I work with couples. I hear all the time. Uh, your in-law, your father, your mother. Well, you know how your father is. You know your father's out of control. You know your mother's out of control. I'm just being honest with you. I'm just being honest with you. I'm just telling you the way it is because you know it's true. Hello, how are you talking to your spouse? That's her mother. That's her father. As bad as it is, it's, they're still attached to them. They have an emotional connection and attachment, even if they were abused. I know it sounds crazy, and I'm not saying, obviously, that it has, doesn't have to be taken care of and has to be stopped. It's unexcusable. But even if they're abused, I'm telling you, many times they still feel attached to their parents, both husbands and wives. So don't be honest with your wife and tell her, well, you know how horrible your mother is. You know how horrible. You know your father makes me crazy. You know I can't stand him. Keep it to yourself. Seriously, keep it to yourself. If you have a real problem, maybe speak to your Rebbe. Speak to your teacher. Speak to a mentor. Don't speak to your wife. It's not going to help. You're going to hurt her feelings. Same thing with women. I'm sorry. This is I got to work both ways. Ladies, if you're having the same thing with your husband's mother, and she's calling you and telling you, oh, you know, the kids weren't dressed right, or she's telling you how the kids aren't fed right, or she's giving you, you know, I don't want to really get involved in your relationship, but I just want to mention maybe it would be a good idea Next time, you can you know you don't have to give them pasta for dinner. I can actually get you some chicken if you want. Like, by the way, people who listen, don't get involved in your children's relationships. Please do not get involved in children's relationships. If there's a problem with your children's relationship, maybe they should seek help from a rabbi, from a counselor, from a therapist. But please, please do not get involved in your children's relationship. But ladies who are listening to this, who know who know what I'm talking about, because you're not getting along with your mother-in-laws, you feel she's too controlling or telling, getting involved, right? If you're listening to this and you know what I'm talking about, please don't tell this to your husband. If you have to vent, find someone that you should vent to. But I don't think you should tell this to your husband. If your husband is connected and attached to his mother, it's going to hurt his feelings. Yes, even husbands are connected to their mothers. Sometimes. No, most of the times, obviously. But we have to be careful. We have to be careful with brutal honesty. Brutal honesty is not something the Torah wants us to do. Hashem could have done that in the situation of Ram Gemara Yavamis. Hashem could have said to Avram Avinu. Hashem could have said to Avram Avinu that your wife said that you, that, that you it's you who, don't, who doesn't believe. But Hashem, excuse me, Hashem, Hashem said that it wasn't her, you, it was her. Hashem wasn't brutally honest. But what do you mean? HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the epitome of MS. Of course HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the epitome of MS. But this is MS. I know it sounds strange. But uh, we can't get into it. But I spoke to someone very big once about this, and I asked him, I said, what do you mean? By the end of the day, you're lying. He says, no, you're not happy. This is MS. Because you're looking at MS as truth or lie. The question is, is what's the truth? The truth in this world is not to insult other people, and shalom is the essence of truth. That is the most important. If you're maintaining shalom, you are creating truth. So it is true. So I'm not saying you're not saying the truth as far as it really happened or really didn't happen, but you are implementing the real truth, which is shalom, which is peace, which is not insulting other people, not stabbing other people, not being brutally honest with other people because you have to say your peace. Let's not say our peace. Well, I'm just being honest. Let's not be honest. Brutally honest is still brutal. And Hashem does not want us to be brutally honest with our spouse. And this goes true, by the way, for ladies also. I mean, time like that, it's very important to me work both ways. Meaning, if your husband, if if for whatever reason it is, your husband is asking you a question and he says to you, What do you think? I figured that out. In other words, he says to you, guess what? I I, I what I'm gonna do this year, I figure out this really great idea that what we're gonna do is I got this really great place that we could go for Shabbos. And there's a minion there. And they're separate swimming. And I figured this out. What do you think? And you could say to your husband, well, wait a minute, you figured out. You didn't figure out anything. I heard you speak to your friend. He figured out everything, everything for you. You didn't do it. So you could be brutally honest with your husband also. But let's not be brutally honest. By the way, generally this is not a problem of women towards men, though it does happen sometimes. So that's the issue of brutally honest. But now I want to shift over to something else. And that is the area of hiding. As much 
as Hashem and the Torah, which is basically the edicts of a Kaddish Baruch Hu, Hashem's telling us that sometimes, right, Gemara, the Medrash, the Torah, we see that Hashem did it himself, that what sometimes it's important for Darke Shalom, for peace, to bend the truth a little bit, not to hurt someone else's feelings, not to create machlokas, not to create fire to keep the shalom in the house. That is not a permit for you to hide things from your husband or to hide things from your wife. Hiding is a different thing. And let's not use one for the other and say, well, what do you mean? I'm supposed to bend the truth. So I can hide things from my husband. What am I talking about? Let's say for argument's sake, you go shopping. And you go shopping. And you go shopping for Shabbos. And you know good and well that your husband, he would not buy certain things that you would buy. He wouldn't. He wouldn't buy certain things. But you buy it anyways. And you also know that if you come back home telling your husband that you spent X amount of money, let's say, for Shabbos, let's say, I don't know, let's say, you know, you come back home, tell him you spend it, you spend, I don't know, you spend $300 for Shabbos. I just pulled that number out of a hat. $300 for Shabbos. He might be like, for Shabbos, you spent $300? Like, what's with you? So instead of like getting hit over the head and starting to get into a fight with him, you hide from him. You say to him, no, how much was it? Yeah, I think it was like $100. Well, guess what? He's going to find it out later on. How is he going to find this out? I hate to say this. Men are very good with calculating money. They know every penny that they have. They could tell you every penny. There are some exceptions. Of course, there's some people who don't have any idea what's flying. Some women take care of the finances in the house, I know. But generally, they'll tell you. What do you mean? I had $5. You had $7. I, I didn't give you. I didn't, What? You spent only $100. I saw the credit card bill. It said $100. It said it's two or $300. $100. And you can start getting into a whole fight. Don't hide. Men, this applies to you too. Don't hide from your wives. Don't hide from your wives. If, if your wife questions you and she says to you, I don't understand. We had money here that was put away for the children for camp and I don't see it anymore. What happened to that money? So you're going to hide and say, I have no idea. I mean, well, you took it for the car or something. But I'm, uh, I'm not going to tell my wife because it's going to cause machlokas. And Rabbi Greenfield said, right, you could, be, you could bend the truth. That's not talking about hiding. That's different. Because here we're hiding things. You see, if your wife asks you how was dinner and you're telling her, oh, it was good, there's a very big difference between that and hiding something from her. And I'll tell you why. Here's the essence. The essence is, is that she, if she's perceiving at the end of the day, here, I'll tell you like this. Let's say at the end of the day she finds out that you actually lied to her. You didn't really like dinner. Let's say. What is she going to do? Is she going to look at you and say to you, you disgusting animal, how come you told me the dinner was delicious when it wasn't good? I don't believe you. She'll never do that. She knows the intention. She's okay with it. She might not be 100% okay with it, but you know what? It works out good, but she'll, she's not going to get upset at you. She's not going to look at you and say to you, disgusting, how you do it. What if your wife would find out that the money that you, that you put away, that you told your wife you're putting away for camp, you actually took that to buy the new car? What if she would find out that? You see, this is where the difference is. If she would find out, she would kill you, literally. She'd say, I can't believe it. You took money from, from camp, you put it in the car without talking to me? Like, hello? Now, I'm not saying every relationship has to be this. And sometimes your finances are different. Maybe you have your own finances. different. I'm just picking this out of, out of the hat. Don't like come out of this and say, oh, I heard about Greenfield say that this is the way it's done with money. We had a show on money. I'm not talking about money right now. The point of the matter is don't hide. Don't hide. If for whatever reason it is, your wife doesn't like it when you go to someone's house, a certain couple's house, because she feels that the lady in that house might be a little bit too outgoing, let's say. She feels a little bit too outgoing and she'd rather you not go there. So, and she asks you, well, where were you? And you say, no, I was a davening, whatever. So, no, where, yeah, I was that. Well, how come you came so late? Whatever, I should I'm not going to tell her that you were in this person's house because she, she's going to find out. She doesn't like you going to that house because this woman is too outgoing to you. So she's not going to like that, right? So you're going to lie. You're allowed to lie for shalom. No, 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 no. Don't do it. First of all, don't go. But if you do go, let's be realistic. If you do go, just tell her, I'm sorry. I may be upset, but I'm going to be open with you. And let me tell you why. Because what's going to happen is twofold. Number one, 
She's going to find out anyways, and I'm very serious, and I see this all the time with couples. She'll find out. She'll find out that you went to this house. And those of you who are not so religious, let's put it in that. I'm not saying religious is not religious. Let's say those of you have Facebook accounts. I'm very against Facebook, but you know what? I'm not here to muss you about Facebook. But you have Facebook accounts, and you have certain friends on Facebook, but your wife doesn't know who your friends are because it's just a workmate or whatever it is, this, that, and the other thing is. She's going to find out. They find out everything, both husbands and wives. I'm telling you, it goes around, comes around. It's going to come back to bite you. Don't hide. Two very important issues. Number one, I'm talking about hiding behind finances. This is generally true for women. This is an issue I, I get a lot when men complain about their wives. Hiding behind, they're not, she's not being honest with me. She's going shopping. She doesn't tell me she's going shopping. I see the credit cards. She's telling me she's going to one store, but she goes to the other store. Every day she goes to Starbucks. She has to have a latte in the morning and the evening. She tells me she's spending it on the kids. Back and forth and back and forth. Let's not hide. Ladies, don't hide. And I'll tell you in a second what to do because I know, I, know, I know what you're thinking. I'm telling you, I know what you're thinking. And men, don't hide either. When it comes to situations of money, number one, also, let's say you set aside money together with your wife for camp or something, don't tell her I lost the money, this, that, the other thing, number one. She's going to find out. She's going she's to hop that you put it into the car. She's not stupid, number one. Number two, if it has to do with, let's say, workmates that are female, she doesn't want you to hang out with them, she doesn't want you to go to someone's house, she doesn't want you to go to a party that might be females there, she's uncomfortable about it. Should I say the word jealous? Yeah, she's allowed to be jealous. I'm sorry, she's your wife. She's allowed to be jealous. So don't hide and make believe you're going one place and going to another place. Don't do that. Don't do that. And now let's get to the heart and the engine of this whole issue. Let me explain you. Because the heart of the engine of this whole issue is that on one hand, on one hand is the issue of transparency, which means don't hide. You've got to be transparent. On the other hand, you have the issue of what? On the other hand, you have the issue of control. And I'll say it again, control. This is where it gets very complicated. What am I talking about? Sometimes what happens is women are hiding from their husbands, different things. For example, spending, right? So they're not telling them how much money they're spending on the kids because he won't agree that he has to spend so much on the kids. Or they're not telling him how much, uh, how much money they're spending for child because he won't agree. He won't agree, right? And if I speak to the woman and I ask her, well, why are you hiding? Like, what's going on? What I generally hear, well, he's controlling. My husband's controlling. He's controlling. If I tell him how much I spent, he's going to get all upset because he ha he's controlling. He controls me. He controls everything I do. He has to know everything that I do. He has to know every penny I spend. He has to know everywhere that I go. He is controlling. He's very, very controlling. Now, when I speak to the husband about it, what I hear is I'm not controlling I don't trust her. The reason she thinks I'm controlling is because she lies to me. Because she lies to me, I have to be controlling. What she perceives as controlling because otherwise I'm not going to know the truth. So the only way for me to know the truth is to ask her all these questions over and over again and to give her 24 questions for me to know the truth. And she calls this controlling. So we have this control versus transparency. Right? Control versus transparency. And, you know, what came first, the chicken or the egg? I don't know. I don't know. And if you're listening to me right now and, you, and this relates to you, and I remember I told you this, this lesson, this, this class might very much relate to you, might sort of relate to you, but if this relates to you a lot, what I, I'm telling you, it's not worth it to hide. It's not worth it to hide. Because the more you're going to hide, the more your husband is going to be controlling. Now, if your husband really, really has a controlling problem and it happened from the beginning of the marriage, he was always controlling from the second, he always over-controlling and he, he's manipulating, controlling, then he might, then he might be narcissistic, he might have a real problem. Most of the cases that I deal with, I'm telling you, even if you feel your husband's controlling, it's not that he's controlling. It's not that he's a controlling person. It's that he feels that you're not being full. Now, you're going to tell me Rabbi Greenfield, you want me to be truthful? What do you want me to say? My kids need shoes. He thinks they don't need shoes. I'm telling you, look at their shoes. They needed shoes. My children need an extra snack. They need to tip the waiter. They needed extra money for camp. So I had to give him some extra money. He wouldn't give them. He's a cheapskate. He wouldn't give them. So I can't be truthful for him. Well, guess what you're doing? You're shooting yourself in the foot because he knows you're not being honest with him and then he becomes controlling and then you guys have all this anxiety and you're hiding from each other and you're getting further and further and further from each other. That's why I say it's so important to be transparent. It's a very difficult, challenging recipe. Very challenging. But you have to sit with your husband and you have to say to him, here's the story. The kids are going to camp you know, I know that you want to give him $20 for the canteen. I really feel, 
I really feel that it's a long time. All his friends are going to have whatever. I understand. This is what you say to your husband. Remember, I always say this. Car, connect to him. Connect to your husband. Say to him. I understand. I totally understand that financially for you, it's so crazy right now because I had... We have to go shopping now for him. We have to spend more money. We have to go visiting day, the transportation. It's so, so, so expensive. I know, Moshe. I know, Yaakov. This is so hard for you. But it'll make me really happy. It'll make me really happy if we could give him a little more money, not just 20. If we give him 50, it'd make me really, really happy. That's the way you speak to your husband. And hopefully you'll come out with some sort of compromise. Either he'll listen to you, which would be great. And definitely men who are listening to me, be mevater. Trust me, be mevater. For Shalom Bais, you'll get bracha in your house. It's worth it to be mevater. Let it go, let it go, let it go. But it, or you'll come to some sort of so- compromise with it. It'll work out, but you have to be open. Don't hide from him that you're taking that you didn't take money when you did take money, that you spent his credit card you did, that you didn't spend his credit card when you did spend his credit card, that you didn't go to, to the mall when you did go to the mall. He'll find out anyways. I'm telling you, comes around, just be open with your husband. Sit with him and say to him, I know you feel I don't need a new dress for the summer. I know that it's so hard for you financially. That, that's like a big piece. You connect to your husband on that level, I'm telling you. It changes, it's like a game changer. I know, you say to your husband, I know that you, that for you, it's really, really hard for you financially. You know how important it is for husbands to hear that from, from their wives? That I know how hard it is for you financially? It's such a valid, it's, a, it's an amazing piece of validation for any husband who listens to this. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Once he hears that, he'll be able to be mavater. Men, if your wives don't want you to go to certain places, go to certain friends, hang out with certain places, Work it out with them. Say to them, go to say to them, listen, I know that you wanted me to disconnect from my friend. I, I understand that. I understand that his wife is inappropriate sometimes. I'm not saying that. I totally understand you. But how could we work it out? Maybe I can meet my friend by himself. Is it okay if I go once a week, maybe for 10 minutes? Op- open yourself up. Be transparent. This is not the what happened with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that Hashem said, what, what Sarah, what, what Sarah Imenu said, he changed her words around. That's completely different. That has to do with hurt. And like I said, you know what the litmus test is? The litmus test is, is that if, if whoever, is, whoever is hearing the bent truth, if he finds out the truth, is he going to be upset? I'm not going to be upset because I told you that the, that the meal was delicious because I didn't mention to you that I want the chicken. Am I going to be upset at you? No, you're being nice to me and I appreciate that. That's the litmus test. But if, but if I find out the truth and I'm going to be upset at you, that's hiding. That's a different game. That's a different game and that causes mistrusts causes and it could get deeper and deeper and worse and worse and worse ladies and gentlemen we ran out of time before we go i just want to mention those of you who are going to the mountains men i don't know if i spoke about it so much last time but men please i know that you're staying here during the week coming of the weekends some of you coming of the weekends good setup not good setup i'm not getting into that right now but what i am telling you is something very very important and that is as follows men please when you come to the mountains don't just go to the pool. Don't just go to the grocery, the this, the that. Spend some time with your wife. Your wife needs your time like you need oxygen. I'm very serious. Your wife needs your time and your attention just like you need oxygen. She hasn't gotten all week, so at least focus at that time. Focus. Please focus, focus, focus on spending time with your wife. And don't wait till later. Do right away. I get so many complaints about this. So men who are listening to this, I'm sorry. You know, I don't want to give you a hard, a hard time here. I'm just telling you, you're going to be happier than Danny to do it for Hashem. Do it for your spouse. Do it for yourself. You're going to be a happier camper at the end. It's very, very, very important. Now in the summer, we have so many more opportunities to spend time with our wives, to focus, to take walks, maybe go on a little vacation. We'll talk about that hopefully next week. Thank you for listening. This has been Rabbi Yitz Greenfield, MSMFT. Hope you have an amazing week, amazing Shabbos, and Be'ez Hashem will be back Next week, I am going to try to play one of my favorite songs over here. Thank you, and have an amazing, amazing week.